Welcome back to the next episode of the In Development Podcast. My name is Ryan, and this is the podcast for all of you city builders, city shapers, and city dwellers out there that care about driving change towards people-centered communities. On In Development, we talk about how Canadian cities develop in and up. We are presented by IDEA, the Infill Development and Edmonton Association, a nonprofit education and advocacy group bringing together like-minded people working to shape our city. Our guest today has over 10 years of residential experience an insatiable amount of passion and a desire to make a difference. And in doing all of that, she is the founder of Chalkmark Residential. Born and raised in Edmonton, Alessandra was immersed in the real estate industry at a young age. She was spending weekends at show homes, collecting builder brochures and floor plans. And that is where she fell in love with the housing industry. Since then, she has worked with numerous builders, developers, and marketing firms with an eye for design, a thirst for innovation, and very, very efficient workflow. Alessandra brings her years of experience to Chalkmark Residential in the hopes of helping those around her make informed, unique decisions as it relates to the real estate industry. Now, Alessandra's background is very interesting, um, and we'll definitely get into this in the podcast. She holds a bachelor's degree in business, along with a background in media communications, including a small stint in the sports industry, which that we will talk about in the episode. And she also holds an active realtor license. She currently serves on multiple committees within the community and chairs the Urban Development Institute Leduc Committee. All right, let's talk to someone building our city. So our guest today is Alessandra Bruni, and um, she is a very interesting person. She's got a bachelor degree in business, background in media communications, holds an active realtor license, but she's also the owner of a small local company called Chalkmark Residential, which we're going to dive into quite a bit because it's kind of unique in the Edmonton market for sure. Um, she serves on a lot of committees within the community. She's the chair of the Urban Development Institute in Leduc. Um, we're going to talk about some of the projects that she's helped spearhead that way. Um, but yeah, we're excited to have you. Welcome to the show, Alessandra. Thank you, Ryan. I'm so excited to be here. This is super great and super exciting. Yeah, so um, I know, but for our listeners, um, your journey to owning and operating Chalkmark Residential, it was, um, can I say circuitous? Is that the right way to put it? <laughs> yes, sure. You can say that. <laughs> yeah, you, you started, you wanted to break into the world of sports reporting. Is that right? That's right. That was my first diploma out of high school. I had decided that I wanted to be a news anchor and specifically a soccer sports anchor. Um, and so I went to Nate as soon as I was done high school and started a diploma in radio and television arts. Nice. And then uh, how long did you work in sports or did we see you on any sidelines? Maybe the World <laughs> Cup? No, unfortunately not. There's probably a few really embarrassing, um, I don't know, at the time it would have been like Shaw Channel 10, I think, really embarrassing videos of me on Channel 10 doing some type of reporting. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Do you, did you have like any memorable quotes or did you have like a tagline for your sign off or anything? Honest to God, no. I just remember that things went horribly wrong. You couldn't laugh or move too much. And it was just so stressful trying to keep a straight face while everything was happening around you. <laughs> oh my God. It, it seems like a stressful world. Yeah, it was pretty stressful. So um, yeah, I just, uh, it was a two-year program. And so kind of, it was a, an interesting progression, but halfway through the program, I had met a really dear friend of mine, even to this day. And um, I was required to do an internship as part of this program. And um, I met this 
friend. Her name's Katrina Rowe. She's still in the development industry today. Um, and so she had said, hey, guess what? I'm like dying. I'm super busy. I work at Insight, this marketing firm, and I need some help. And I said, hey, I need an internship. So how about I come work with you? And so I kind of changed paths in the most unnatural fashion. Yeah. Sounds like a match made in heaven though. I, and <laughs> I, I do want to, I mean, you kind of transitioned a little bit there, but I, I one more question about, uh, about your background. You're a longtime Edmontonian, but you love to travel. You stuck around in Edmonton though. How come? I did. You know what? I, um, I had some opportunities to go away to the States, but I'm Italian and family is the most important thing. So it kind of just kept me close to home. And, and some days I wish I would have kind of ventured out and explored other places, but I'm also happy to just be at home with family. And I got to ask you, um, what, what, what part of town did you, what side of the, what side of the city did you grow up in? Are, are you sure you want to ask me that? I don't know. I do. Um, I, I, do. I get made fun of, but I grew up on the North side and I loved it. It was great. <laughs> north side's great. I, I grew up South side. Uh, Olivia, I think is a West Ender. So we have kind of, uh, the majority of Edmonton kind of surrounded here, but, uh, you know, what, can you bring to Edmonton in terms of knowledge and other things that you learned from, from your travels though, or did you, did you bring anything to, to kind of your past? Well, I mean, I just, like when I was younger, we didn't, we didn't travel very much. And so as I got older, I started to kind of dabble a little more and exploring new places. And I, like, I just love going to tour new cities and anywhere that there is a big city with buildings, like I will go anytime. Like I love big city feels. So please, I will go anytime you want me to, and I will bring back <laughs> all of the knowledge. <laughs> nice. Okay. Well, all right. That I think that sets the tone a little bit here. So you, you talked about it a little bit, but how did you end up um, working in, in the building and development industry then um, transforming from your, uh, your sideline reporter life? Well, so yeah, so after my Channel 10 Shaw didn't go the way that I had kind of originally planned it, um, I was hired as an hired or I guess started as an intern with Insight Marketing. And so I was an intern there for six months. And when I had started, all of my clients were builders and developers or all the projects that I had kind of gotten to work on. And so I started to get familiar with real estate and I started working with, you know, Cantero now, formerly Beaverbrook, um, and a couple other large scale developers. And so once my internship was over, Insight hired me and I kind of stayed on there and I continued to work in this real estate kind of sector. So it kind of evolved in like marketing. I Then I started dealing more with builders and developers. And then after that, I kind of progressed and started working with a developer. So I went and I was hired at Beaverbrook, which is now uh, formerly known as Cantero. And then I kind of, that kind of sparked my, my start into real estate and becoming, you know, a development manager and I guess the path forward. That actually ties in really nicely because, um, so I, I'm an architect um, at Noor. We actually have a couple of projects right now that with Cantero, but like, it, but from what was Beaverbrook. So um, they actually are a great client to work with and uh, I I just just from a consultant point of view so it's a uh, it's nice to see a um, familiar face and a familiar background on that end you know speaking of though they actually recently have built some really great infill projects so you know the west block ascension block um, CX um, and what were could you talk a little bit about your roles at the company um, in these projects Sure. Um, so when I had started at um, Cantero, I kind of had worked in a little bit of a marketing bubble. And then I shifted into more of a development manager. I was involved with West Block. I'd helped with the grand opening and a lot of the marketing that went into West Block. Um, 
I was at Cantero for a, almost a decade, just shy of a decade. Um, and so I got to dabble in a lot of different areas, which was so great and such a great learning experience um, between suburban development, you know, marketing, infill, it's great. So West Block was awesome. And I remember when West Block, we had started that project and it was out of an awesome sales trailer that we had built and kind of turned into a unit. Um, and so I got to work on that project with the rest of the team and it was really, really fun and super eye-opening and was my first dabble in the infill market. So it was great. Oh, it's super cool. Was there, um, or so the, there's a marketing component in a trailer? Yeah. So um, because the building wasn't built and we needed to generate pre-sales, um, we basically like took a like a portable trailer and we built a unit. So I wasn't necessarily involved in that, but they basically built a unit in this trailer and then had a sales office. And so I'd helped with the marketing and then kind of had helped with the grand opening and some of the other pieces that all went into it. But it was super cool because it was the first time anybody had ever like taken this portable sales trailer and turned it into this amazing, spectacular, like custom unit. It was awesome. It looked so great. Yeah, that sounds cool. That's like an architect's dream too, is to yeah. have some sort of <laughs> movable trailer or movable boat. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, does it is it still around or not it's, anymore? No, it's not. But the building is like it's. Have you seen the building? It's on One Forty Two oh, Street, yeah, yeah. Stony Plain Road, and it's. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the percentage would be, but call it 60, 75% somewhere in there um, fully purchased. So it's sold. And then the entire main floor is commercial. And like, if you haven't been to square one coffee or leopard or, you know, uh, Zula, like it's awesome. It's just great. I go there. I can't admit how much I go there. Like I, I actually don't want to tell you how much I go there. Yeah. I love going there too. Yeah. <laughs> I have yet to try. I have yet to try out the, I have yet to try out Zula, but um, I heard so many, things about it. Um, how did that experience shape your journey into creating Chalkmark? Oh, Chalkmark was a funny one. So I, um, I, I left Cantiro because my now husband was also working at Cantiro. And so just to kind of separate and, and create some space between our home life and our work life, I left Cantiro and I went to work with my lovely friends and now clients to this day at Carrington. And this was like during COVID and the world was kind of a really weird place to be. And like, it just, I don't know, things weren't clicking and it was just, development was hard. And one day it was so great. And one day it was like, sell everything. And you know, the next day was hold on, no, wait, don't sell it, raise the prices. And you just kind of couldn't get a pulse on what was happening. So during COVID, I maybe stupidly, but I decided to start um, Chalkmark because I'd had a couple of opportunities when this was all happening, where other builders and developers were reaching out to me and they were saying, hey, like you've been in the industry for a while. Can you help us with this? Can you help us with this? So I said, oh, God, well, I have a nine to five job. I, I don't I don't know if I can do this. So during COVID, I started Chalkmark and I left my full time employment position and brought on Carrington. They were my first clients. God bless them for like trusting me, but they were my first clients. And over time, I had just kind of started to build up this little nest egg of builders and developers and kind of collect all the people that I have worked with in my journey and along the way. And so very scary at first. Um, not exactly sure what I was thinking, but I am so, so, so happy that I chose the path I did. It's such an interesting story, Alessandra, because there's such a evolution always with um, with starting your own business and, you know, starting your own 
uh, studio and how that evolves. You know, you always have an idea of how it could be in the beginning. And then, um, you know, you, the clients, the market, you know, all that starts, starts driving the type of work that you end up doing, which, which totally brings me to my next question, which is what, special, what specialties do you think you possess that um, clients are looking for? And um, what kind of clients are you focused on uh, currently? Or maybe that has evolved um, over time. When I initially had started Chalkmark, when I wrote my uh, strategic business plan, I had kind of like tiered everything. So I had three tiers of business and focus. Um, but like you said, things evolve as you start to work with clients and, and things start to just kind of shift. But mainly I work with developers. So developers is one bucket. Um, I work with a couple of developers in the area of subdivision planning, um, revising and writing zoning for specific stages. Um, I work with them on builder management, show home management. Um, I basically do market research and price and sell all their lots for their builders. and. Um, like I kind of work with them on a development management sales, I guess, aspect. Um, so I do that a little more on the planning side as well. Um, and then for my builder clients, that's my second bucket. Um, I work a little bit with them more on the innovation and product development and reviewing floor plans and saying, okay, you know, I think it would be great if builder X could get into townhomes. Um, where can I go and find a piece of land that we can carve up into townhomes? And once we have this piece of land, what does that product look like? What need do we need to service? What type of product do we need to build? What does the cost have to be? Do we you know provide spec boards do we go full custom so i do a little bit more of that and then i also help them again with a little bit of marketing on the side how are we going to market this what does this look like who are we targeting um that sort of thing so that's bucket two and then bucket three was um kind of again during COVID, i was helping with the sales of some builders and developers like remnant lot inventory um, i love sales i don't know why but i love selling things i just i think it's a natural quality. I just love talking to people. So maybe again, my Italian side, but um, I got a realtor license so that I could help my builders and developers um, move some of their existing product. So um, if they have like remnant lots, uh, if they have spec homes, you mentioned Cantero's Ascension Block. I have Ascension Block listed for Cantero. Um, so just it's just another added benefit to what I already offer my clients. Oh, super interesting. Um, is uh, do a lot of your clients and a lot of the work that you're doing, have they been going back? Have they been looking at infill recently and, you know, has taken a special interest? Because, you know, there's a, I, I know, you know, development that it happens everywhere, of course. But, um, yeah, what tell us a little bit about uh, their interest in, in, in the infill world, Edmonton infill specifically. <laughs> well, I have a couple of clients, you're absolutely correct, who do have inventory in some really great Edmonton communities, uh, Glenora, Forest Heights. Um, and honestly, I've got to work on a couple of projects that are really cool. So we're starting to see a lot of suites, um, like even triple suite product that looks awesome. Um, so basement suite, main floor living, and then a garden suite. So that's been pretty cool to look at. Um, my in-laws right now who actually are a infill builder and a, they do infills and renovations, but they're looking to build a garden suite um, as well, which is super cool. So I love that we're not just looking at, you know, 
a 25 foot wide lot and let's just build an 18 foot wide home kind of skinny. There's so many unique ways to look at things. And I think some of the builders that I'm fortunate to work with are actually doing some of those things, which is awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, and how would you say you set yourself apart in the market? Uh, and um, I guess maybe with some of the market trends that are that you're noticing as well, what value do you think you bring to your clients on that on, on that end as well, too? Um, I don't, and maybe somebody else can answer this question, but I don't know if there's anyone that kind of offers the different levels of service that I do. And maybe that's my differentiating factor. But I feel like, you know, when you're in development, you have a marketing department that maybe serves the development side. And then if you had a home building arm, then you'd have another marketing department that kind of serves the home building arm, but there's not one that's all encompassing. And I feel like I am more of all encompassing and, Again, that's not to say I know everything by any stretch of the imagination, because I certainly don't. Um, but I have experience dealing with builders and developers and can kind of pivot and work with either one depending on the day. And so I think that's kind of my superpower is that I can deal with both and I understand a little bit what makes each of them tick and what works and what doesn't and where their struggles and pain points are. Yes, uh, super interesting. Um, I just want to switch gears all right now to marketing because uh, that's a huge component of the work you do and i'm definitely fascinated by the nuances of marketing um be at, specifically as it pertains to homes and um you know sort of the story to tell with different with the different clients that you work with and and they're coming in from you know a, develop, a developer standpoint also a builder standpoint so it's like such a different approach to um to both well, actually to their marketing um, strategy. I uh, wanted to ask, what strategies do you typically see in the industry and what do you try to do better or different? Oh, that's a loaded question, Olivia. Um, <laughs> honestly, I feel like over the past few years, it's not about better or different. It's about staying current. Um, I've noticed that marketing changes very quickly. And so I don't know, making sure that you're up to date with TikTok or you know, be real or the newest tech updates or chat GPT, for example, or all of these things. Um, if you're not current, then I think you're kind of letting your clients not down, but you're not giving them the best advice because our world changes so quickly. And so, you know, I remember when I started in the industry and, and you'd put an ad in, what was it? The new home buyer's guide, I think. And you'd, you know, you'd put your picture and you'd say, here's my community of X and here are my four builders and come visit me. And that was, that was kind of it. Well, now we've evolved into digital ads and website and SEO and SEM and Instagram ads and Facebook and advertise on Spotify and like all of these various things. Um, which make things move very quickly. And so I think in order to set clients apart, you have to be on top of that one. And two, I always like to find your unique service offering for every single client because it's hard to differentiate yourself as a builder. Like there's how many builders in this you know, city? So making sure that you pick that one special and unique piece and capitalizing on that and then making sure the world knows about it. Yeah, I think that's fascinating. And and because you've kind of bridged both the the suburban and the infill markets, I'm wondering how um, kind of your marketing strategies, are they the same? Do they differ? Um, some people say like infill homes sell themselves, um, sort of suburban homes in some cases as well. So I'm just curious if you bring the same strategies. Um, I like to differentiate. Infill housing is great because it's so creative. It's like a 
wonderful creative outlet. It's like painting a picture with a multitude of colors. You know, it's usually more custom. It is in a great neighborhood. There's already mature trees. There's schools. It's like, it's great. And so you can tell this beautiful story about community and life and this great home that's customized exactly for, you know, a specific demographic. Suburban is a little bit trickier because sometimes a lot of the amenities aren't always there. So you're trying to tell a story without having half of these great amenities being around. And so you have to get a bit more creative with your community approach and telling the story about, you know, what it will be like to live in this community. Um, and then the homes, uh, again, super great, just a little bit different because you typically see production builders in the suburbs. So you're trying to see, you know, four or five different models with each builder. And so there's maybe, I don't know, 10 different spec homes and trying to differentiate that gets to be a little bit tricky. Um, so you have to be a bit creative on messaging and what differentiates yourself as a builder versus the actual home product, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think that, I think that makes a lot of sense. And how much time are you spending? Um, like when you're traveling or, uh, because you are a realtor, you must get to see the inside of, uh, some pretty spectacular projects as well. Like how much of that is, uh, you with a tape measure and they're measuring things out and stealing some ideas and bringing them to your other clients. <laughs> Honestly, it's so bad because sometimes I'll just go on my little realtor app and I'm like, ooh, this house is cool. Let me go and check this one out. And then I just request a showing and, you know, they say, well, who's your client? And I'm like, let's be real. I don't have a client. I just want to see inside of your house. <laughs> I'm joking, but you know what I mean. Um, She's I, not joking. I'm not She's joking. not joking. No. I love, love doing that. Um, I help my in-laws with renovations. And then I also have a couple of clients who I'm working with them to design their homes and review their floor plans. So I think it's super important to go around and check what else is out there. And honestly, like, so other people have great ideas. You're always going to get a great idea from looking at what somebody else has done. And so I just value so much what other builders and other people in this city or other cities um, have put into their homes and into their designs. And so checking it out, yes, I'm doing that all the time, all of the time. You, met, you mentioned you do it in other cities. Is that true as well? Like uh, when, when you travel, are you going to see some listings in some other cities as well? Or oh my God, I mean, yes. other so spaces? Bad. Yeah. <laughs> so bad. We were in Palm Springs a few weeks ago and I spent half the morning one morning on the phone with like a real estate company and booking showings. And my husband's like, what are you doing? Can you just read a book? And I was like, no, no, no. Did you see this house? This is the coolest mid-century modern house. I have to go see this. And he was like, can you just let it go for 10 minutes, please? <laughs> It's hard. It's hard to turn it off. And like, um, I've had some clients that like travel elsewhere. It's, it's a double-edged sword. I've had some clients travel elsewhere and they'll come back and they'll be like, I saw this really incredible project. Um, I want to do this here or whatever. And then you look it up and it's like some really un Edmonton, like maybe it's like something with turrets or spires or something <laughs> insane. And you're just like, uh, yeah, you, you definitely could. But like, uh, do you find that you have to like adapt a lot of these ideas to like an Edmonton thing or... Yeah. And a lot of them, like it's, it's just about inspiration, right? You never know where your next idea is going to come from. And so every city I go to, I try and get on one email list for real estate listings. So like I, you, I go to New York and I make sure that I find a sign in a realtor and I sign up and it's again, for nothing else other than brownstones in New York are fascinating. And so if right. they're doing something cool, why don't we do something cool? Maybe it's 10% in Edmonton, you know? Um, I totally have a follow-up question on marketing and I, I know that's such a huge top, like it's a very broad topic. Um, but I'm also wondering if you've noticed, um, you know, marketing in, uh, marketing and developments and, uh, if, if 
some of the brand and some of the um, iconography that's in marketing gets tied to back to like the architecture or the, you know, just the built form at the end of the day. I've noticed this just because I've seen it so much in Victoria, uh, BC, and I'm super curious if you've seen that more around here um, or, or it's still something that you're trying to introduce or it's a strategy that is still very relatively new. Well, so developers set the architectural guidelines for subdivisions in suburban development. And so, yeah, like I think, I don't know, there's a community in Spruce Grove called Greenbury. Um, it's a Cantero community and the entire subdivision is brownstone development. So you'll see like kind of traditional brownstone architecture and every home has brick and, you know, a colored front door and all the elements that one would see in, I don't know, like a brownstone community, I guess. Um, one at Keswick is all modern, I guess, contemporary modern architecture. So yeah, then all the builders kind of come into the community and they have to design home styles that comply with that architectural style. And so then the community is well known because people will be talking and they'll say, oh yeah, have you been to that modern community in Southwest Edmonton? And you know, the next person says, yeah, it's one at Keswick or, or whatever the architecture is. So um I found lately it's really challenging to do unique things with architecture because everything is so expensive. Um, right now we're looking at doing some Canmore Mountain-esque style architecture in a new community in South Edmonton. And just the costs are, it's really, really challenging to try and get the cost to line up. Because um, at the end of the day, most people, like they want the inside of their home to be the showcase. And so that's kind of your your challenge right now. But we still try. Yes, I love that you still try because the exterior is also equally important as the interior. <laughs> You're an architect, little, Olivia, of course. Little bias. <laughs> well, I, I kind of wanted to build on that because my sister lives in Summerside and, and Summerside is one of those neighborhoods with like fairly strict architectural guidelines and they... Um, you know, it's kind of unique in, in and of itself. And there's kind of like this prestige built around like living in one of these neighborhoods that has a certain style. So um, I'm excited to see where your mountain town, uh, where, the, where the mountain town get, ends up getting built. Cause I think that's a cool little aesthetic. Um, and you can see it all over the place in like Canmore and some places in Calgary and stuff. I think it's fascinating. So can't, can't wait for that one. But anyways, I wanted to switch gears now and talk about why you came, uh, why you became an idea member when you're, you're a fairly new member, right? I am a new member. I think it's only been maybe three months, maybe four, something like that. Congrats. Thank you. I'm so excited. Yeah. What were you hoping to bring and get out of uh, your membership? Um, well, I'm heavily, as you mentioned, I'm heavily involved in uh, UDI and UDI is the Urban Development Institute. So they focus more on the suburban side of things. Um, I really wanted an opportunity to be able to kind of, I guess, collaborate with infill professionals. Um, and work a little bit more with architects, uh, Olivia, like you, and some of the infill builders in our communities um, and get their perspective. I think it's really important to make connections kind of all over the place. And so I love being able to collaborate and connect with people that kind of are outside my current scope. And um, that was the main reason for being an idea member. Nice. Well, we're glad to have you for sure. Because I, like I said, I, I think you're... Uh... Your company is very unique. Like I, you, you mentioned, you don't think there's anybody like you in the market. I, I guarantee there's not. So your competition <laughs> is almost zero. But um, you also built your own infill home. Is that right? I did. Yes. Yeah. My husband, he, I have to give him like m huge kudos because he's the builder guy. I'm just the idea girl. Yeah. So, I mean, walk, walk me through the process. Like, how, did you find a lot first or did you work with uh, builders? How much in, uh, involved in the design did you get? How much arguing did you, did happen? Like that kind of stuff. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, so my husband has grown up in Forest Heights his whole life. And so it was really important for him to remain in Forest Heights and to build an infill. And so this lot came up and we kind of pounced on it. Um, and then we actually drew our floor plan on graph paper sitting at the kitchen table. So we drew everything and we've had all these papers taped together and, you know, our main floor in our basement. And so further to that, we hired an architect to do our exterior elevation and a drafts um, dress person. And, and she kind of put everything together so we could submit to the city. And we were involved in absolutely everything. I cannot tell you how many trips I made to Shamrock Flooring to find the perfect Schluter, but I made every single one of those trips. I was here every day. Um, he and I were here at three in the morning. Um, we were painting walls and like using limestone paint on our fireplace. And I don't know, I ordered the wallpaper and like everything we did everything. And so I have to say it was honestly the best learning experience. Um, we didn't kill each other or hate each other. We worked really well together. Um, where I am not so great, he picks that up and where he's not so great, I pick that up. So it was a really great partnership. And honestly, I learned so much and would do it again in a heartbeat, like a lot of work, but so fascinating. I believe that for sure. And then the design process, how long did that take? And I want to know how many different iterations you went through here. And I like Olivia can probably appreciate that too. Like how, how long was this design process? You know what? It wasn't so bad. Cause I feel like, um, I'm quite, quite direct and sure of what I want. And so is he. So like I had a few non-negotiables. One was my uh, closet. And at one point he tried to like cut my closet and make it quite tiny. And that was fight number one. And the only fight we had. And I was like, no, this is not a deal. We are making this my closet like I want with the custom built-ins. No, <laughs> there is no change to this. <laughs> but that well, was that, really, really it. <laughs> that means that something else was sacrificed. So what was sacrificed? Honestly, I'm scared to say this out loud, but it was my... Um, my son's bedroom, he got a smaller bedroom compared to his brother because I needed the space for the closet. <laughs> Lawson, I'm sorry if you ever listened to this. Ah, <laughs> uh, he might have to deal with that in therapy later on if he yeah. hears this. But yeah, that's I mean, there has to be some 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 give and take for sure. My my wife my wife and I went down the road a little bit and we couldn't get past like we couldn't get past the design phase. So we had a lot that we really liked, but the design phase is what kind of killed the project for us. So good for you for powering through. Came at the expense of your son, but I'm sure it'll, <laughs> I'm sure it'll be fine. Yeah, what else? Uh, like, So how custom did you make your house? Is it like perfectly tailored to you or did you kind of think about resale afterwards as well? Um, so we kept it like pretty... I don't want to say basic, but we kept it um, neutral so that it could be resold. Um, there's nothing too crazy about it, but we wanted it custom for us, our lifestyle. And we really placed emphasis on some of the rooms and things that we find value in. Um, I love to cook. So our kitchen has like, um, there's two massive islands in our kitchen so that I can do that. And my husband loves cocktails. So like he's got a super great bar where he can do that. Um, again, like for resale, it'll work. Uh, just we wanted to make sure that we could enjoy it while we were living here. Yeah, no kidding. So would you do it again? Uh, yes, I would do it again. But I don't want to move like I don't actually want to move, but I would do it again and then sell it somebody else could buy it or I would do it for them. I just I actually don't want to move because that's a lot of work. Uh, what about like renovating? it? What about like not starting from scratch, but uh, improving? Yes, renovating is so fun. I love renovating. Really? You don't see that? That's, that's kind of a hot take. I don't like, I'm a big renovator guy for sure, <laughs> but 
Um, Olivia, are you in, are you a renovator? Or you prefer to go new? I I love renovating yeah. too. I I would prefer to take something old and try to make it new. At least that's what um, I like to approach a lot of the projects right now. Like I do seek out, you know, if there are you know older buildings that have interesting characters in our city that could be uh, repositioned or you know adaptive reuse you know i think that's such a really nice i think that's such a great thing so i mean don't get me wrong there's some really nice new builds one thing i really like about new builds though because um we're going through a renovation right now as well like on on me and my husband are but yeah something sometimes it's a little frustrating because our home is is kind of like vertical it's like a fourplex and it's a little bit of a, a stacked room program kind of thing so it been so challenging looking for spaces and creating spaces that aren't already there you know so the new part is kind of like solves that for you like you can actually design um you can design you know whatever you'd like you could put the program in but oh god it's but renovating just gives it character so there's pros and cons <laughs> there's nothing better than a before and after picture that is like the most exciting thing i swear right yeah so great um, now you are the chair of the Leduc, uh, branch of UDI. Is that right? Yeah. The Leduc working group. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. That's the right terminology. What is, uh, so what, what kind of projects do you work on there? Anything that you're super proud of? Um, well, I've been the chair in Leduc, oh boy, for a long time. And that's mainly cause every year I ask if anyone else wants to do it and I'm met with like a bunch of uncomfortable gazes. So I just assume no and keep carrying on. <laughs> <laughs> I do a lot of work in Leduc. I have two developers and two three builders who actually build out in Leduc. And so I've been out in the community. Oh my goodness. Like even back in my Cantero days and I kind of started in Leduc. And I remember at the time when I started working out there and, you know, had development projects, I was super disappointed because all my colleagues had all these exciting projects in Southwest Edmonton, which was a happening place at the time and Southeast Edmonton. And I was like, my goodness, I'm out in, you know, this small bedroom community in Leduc. And I have to be honest, it was actually the best thing that ever happened to me because I've done so much work in Leduc and the administration and council are just absolutely fantastic and we have such a great working relationship that you know if any issues arise or a problem arises or we want to bring in more dense product which we're doing right now everybody's open to the conversation and I just feel so fortunate that I've had that opportunity to be able to build that relationship and that you know they're so collaborative and, and we can kind of work together so it's been really great yeah and if I'm not mistaken Leduc is starting to it started off as like this maybe bedroom community, maybe someone from Leduc is going to correct me on that, but uh, it's changed a little bit, right? It, it, it's kind of its own city. They're actually experiencing some infill there too, aren't they? They are. So last year, they um, the AVPA, which is their uh, Airport Vicinity Protection Act, um, they revised all the flight paths. So the flight paths used to go over top of downtown Leduc, and it actually precluded infill development because you couldn't tear anything down and rebuild oh, it. Oh, interesting. And so last year, the AVPA revised all of these contour lines. And so now you can actually build infill in Leduc and you can start to kind of revitalize the downtown. 
Um, so we just had a meeting about it last week and it's super exciting. And we're all actually collaboratively working together on what infill in the downtown core of Leduc looks like. And, you know, who's going to build there and what are we going to build? And is it a townhome and duplex? And, you know, how are we going to come and view Edmonton and what's that going to look like? And are we going to take components from Edmonton and bring that to Leduc? So it's a really interesting conversation when you're looking at it kind of at a smaller scale and a smaller municipality. Um, but it's really exciting as well that now they're able to do that. So. Yeah, it's fascinating, the evolution too. And it sounds like you've started um, the idea branch in Leduc, like the first idea branch outside of Edmonton here. So I think it's kind of low hanging fruit that you just run with that now. Um, okay, sure. I would love to do that because I will continue working in Leduc till the day I die. I swear. I just love it there. <laughs> so yes. What do you like about it? What do you like about it? Um, I just honestly, I just really like the people there. And I just I love that everybody is so kind and willing to work together. It just, you know, you can disagree, but you're never met with resistance that you'd find elsewhere. And so I just I really appreciate that aspect of it. All right, Alessandra, I had such a I don't know, like, I'm, I'm just really enjoying listening to your conversation and also your backstory and also about Chalkmark because it's so uh, mainly because it's I, I don't know a lot about it. And it's so fascinating to learn about it from you. Um, we always end off our episode of the course with a call to action from our guests. So what is your call to action for all our listeners out there? So my call to action today is the next time you go for a walk, check out the architecture and the buildings in your area, because you never know where your next idea will spark from. Oh, that's so good. Are you yeah, are you going to offer uh, tours in some of these houses uh, when, when you go check them out? I'm going to like get in trouble about this, but sure. Maybe <laughs> I should start a website and have people put their emails in and start group tours on the weekend. <laughs> yes, yes. I would like, I would very much like that. <laughs> okay, Olivia, Ryan, you're the first, you're the first attendees. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll sign up, yeah. Great. Um, well, thanks for spending your afternoon with us, Alessandra. We had a great time chatting with you. Thanks, Alessandra. Thank you, guys. Wow, Ryan, that was a great episode. I definitely really enjoyed talking to Alessandra. Um, she just had so many interesting insights, and I loved how she really found like a unique niche into, into this housing industry. I remember in the episode, she also talked a lot about, uh, you know, growing up and where in Edmonton uh, she grew up. And of course, all three of us are from Edmonton. She's from the north side. I grew up in the west side. And what side of Edmonton did you grow up on, Ryan? <laughs> yeah, I grew up south side. So we have Edmonton almost represented here. But um, I did, growing up in the south side, I didn't spend a lot of time in either the north or west side unless I was going to it's safe to say the biggest attraction of uh, the West Side growing up was West Edmonton Mall. Yeah, exactly. Growing up in the West Side, that was all that was there. <laughs> and they didn't have any of the new infrastructure that was like developing right now with the trains and the, uh, you know, um, the, even the lanes were also a lot, the roads felt a lot smaller. There just was not a lot of traffic going through there. And I remember it would just be, well, I lived in West Ridge, so it was like West okay. Ridge, and then there was Country Club, which was very, very uh, bougie, sure. and had, um, and then Lewis Estate was really new and up and coming, and in all of that, there's this long, really long street called 170th Street that was barren, and then that's where you hit the mall, <laughs> and that was pretty much West Side for me growing up. 
Do you say barren? It was barren. One seventieth was barren. It's hard to even imagine that. Well, barren as in there wasn't a lot of of uh, like it was still a really large. Tra- it was a, l- a really large corridor still. Like mm. there was a lot of traffic, but it's it's just so much busier now. Yeah. Like I still go because my parents still my parents still live there, and whenever I go there and visit, it's just the traffic's just gotten it's just gotten super super busy. Yeah. Yeah, I think 170th was supposed to be Edmonton's first ring road. Like there was, uh, I think it was like white, white mud, 170, yellowhead, and then like 75th. I'm pretty sure that was supposed to be a ring road. So, but that, that's why it was massive. But yeah, I've never heard it being referred to as barren before. Like that's insane. I think that's when the, the Hende was, it was starting to take shape. So I think it was barren because it felt like the edge of the city. Because right yeah. now it doesn't, right now it's not the edge of the city. Not even close. Yeah, exactly. You keep going white mud. It's still, you can get, you know, you have so many developments that are going up there, but it it felt like the edge of the city. I think that's probably why it was barren. Not that yeah. it was, nobody was there, but it just felt that was where the limits were. And it was the same thing with Riverbend, I think too, you know, before, well, I think Rabbit Hill rolled yeah. would be like the furthest. And then, you know, I think 23rd and then all that was developed right after yeah. Yeah. I grew up close to 23rd Ave. So okay. like 10 or 15 blocks North of that. So I remember like past twin Brooks was basically nothing. Like there was no hand or anything beyond that when I was growing up. Um, like the train went to the university, which was great. So when we would go to events at like the stadium or whatever with, as a family, we, we could drive to the university to jump on a train and then go. And then the train arrived like, you know, when I was in my twenties, I think it got all the way south. So we uh, we we have some things going on on the south side, but um, yeah, I also remember it being very much like farmers' field, and now it's like all the way out. It's got to be to the airport at this point. But yeah, south side. Yeah. We, we haven't even talked about north side. Have you like what do you go to the north side for? Holy, I I have not gone to the north side ever. I think the furthest. <sighs> Oh my god! Ever, ever. I didn't say ever. Okay, I take that back. Make sure I'm not out of that. Not ever. Sorry. I rarely, I rarely go to the north side. I think I only went to the north side was when I was dating a guy in the north side, and then I had to drive all the way out there to Fort Road, and that was probably the most north I got. And you, yeah, you probably like cursed him on the entire drive out. That's a long drive, like from West End all the way to like Fort Road. Yeah, yeah. it totally was not worth it. Not worth. Oh, it. didn't turn into your <laughs> husband, I guess. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Same thing with me. Like I went north side to go like for sports or like events or whatever when I was younger, but like we didn't travel north very often. Now I go quite a bit for um for work and and that kind of thing. But it, let me ask you one more question about the West End. Did you grow up in the area that was like grid streets, or did you get more of a suburban experience with curvy roads and everything? Ooh, good call. Um, good question. Actually, I grew up in the curvy streets for okay. sure. Yeah, yeah, me too. Okay. So yeah, I I wonder how much that shaped you in becoming an architect growing up in the curvy suburbs. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Never thought about that. Oh, you can you can the reason I ask is you can draw a direct link from that to why I became a planner. Like I couldn't walk I couldn't walk anywhere. It was totally. it was the worst. Like I grew up in one of those like authentic suburbs that was like nice big curvy roads and side yeah. model sidewalks like sidewalk on both sides but it's right against the road big wide roads no trees to be found anywhere and there was like that's a big reason why i wanted to go into planning was to kind of understand why the heck do we design neighborhoods like this but yeah same same with you or yes did you have a lot of cul-de-sacs 
Oh, I, I grew up in a cul-de-sac. My parents still live there. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So does mine. Yes. Yeah. Windy roads, lots of cul-de-sacs. And, but, but it wasn't like newer, newer residential developments where um, the houses that, that were in my neighborhood actually were very different. Okay. So I don't know if it was like that for you, but it was, it was very different. It didn't have a, I did recall, um, but please tell me if I'm wrong in the South side when I had, cause I would, I would go to the South side and I had, I had friends that live in Riverbend and that Riverbend was very up and coming neighborhood. <laughs> it was sure. so nice. But there, all the houses there were very, um, they're very of that era, like kind of the mid nineties to early mm. like 2000s. You know, there was a lot of pastel colors, oh, a lot of yeah. like plaster stucco, right? Like it was, it was very, that was the modern <laughs> touch. Look, um, yeah. I got to say the like Westwich and Wolf Willow where I grew up was there, there was a little bit of a mixture in terms of form and as well mm. as, um, you know, materials used like my, my parents' house still has cedar on it, like cedar siding. Oh, cool. Really cedar nice. siding. You don't see that yeah. at all anywhere. No, no. It's, it's, it, it's really nice, but it's such a pain to maintain because there's woodpeckers that just go at it all the time. <laughs> so it's a, it's a little bit of a headache to maintain, but yeah, there was a little bit of a mix of that. So I definitely think um, some of that uniqueness has, uh shaped has really caught my interest and shaped my my interest as becoming mm-hmm. an architect and making homes a little bit more unique yeah so um but it was yeah i didn't grow up in a grid though so i, I actually wonder how that would have influenced um my perspective yeah see i grew up in like kind of a, the opposite situation so I, my uh the neighborhood I grew up in was like um, an 80s suburb. So mm. there was, so it's like di- different styles than what you would see today anyways, but like you described the stucco and the pastel colors, like it was still very prevalent there, but um, like my exact house on the same cul-de-sac, it's like copy and paste, but like maybe it's flipped. Maybe the windows are different shapes, but like in terms of the layout and um, the garage in front, house in the back, that kind of thing. And then they all kind of look the same with different colors and different materials. So it was like, that was, it felt very suburban. It was the only difference, I guess, from like our current suburbs is they were like the houses were further apart because they're just a little bit bigger lots, but um, yes. yeah, very much like copy and paste. So yeah, I didn't have any cedar shakes. That's so cool that you had a house with cedar on it. All right. I think uh, the next one that Alessandra brought up was the West Block development mm. that was such a great development. Well, it, it's um, I, I think it's a really great development, a really good addition to our city. Tell us about it. You're the West. You're the mayor of the West End. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's still it, it's still in the. I'd say it's still uh, closer to the core than it's closer to the West Side I grew up, but. It's on the way to the west side. <laughs> but yeah, I'll tell you a little bit about it, Ryan. Um, it's a stunning three and a half acre mixed use project, and it brings together a unique mix of residential, retail, and office spaces. And it is located on uh, the corner of 142nd Street and Stony Plain Road. And that is a very high traffic intersection. And it's got great exposure. Um, and it's such a it's such an interesting point of entry into uh, into downtown. 
like especially if you're coming from well especially if you're coming from the west side so it's a pretty it's it, it, the location is just great um it's designed around a central urban space and it creates uh you know really unique patio and public spaces with uh heated concrete and then you know that's really that's a bonus because it encourages outdoor use year round the most interesting part of it architecturally is that it is a mass timber project and it promotes sustainability and by through decreasing carbon through decreasing the carbon footprint compared to concrete yeah. and it elevates the aesthetics both the interior and the exterior and i believe that there is the pedestrian transit oriented development so there is a planned stop for the future valley line west lrt I think it's I think it's under construction now, if I'm not mistaken. Like uh, the last time I drove through there, it's kind of chaotic. Yeah, you're right. It is under construction right now, and cool. it is not fun <laughs> to drive. Yeah. yeah. Well, hopefully, people don't have to drive uh, through there. They have some other options coming soon. Have you been to so the three businesses that she mentioned, uh, Leopards uh, Square One and Zula? You've been to all three? I have not. Um, Square One I went to is the coffee shop. That one's really that one is really lovely. I like going in there. Coffee's great. Ambiance is great. Like I know the chaos will go away with the construction because right now it's so hard to it's so hard to park yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. But um, it's once you're there, it's it feels great. And especially during the summer, um, you know, you can go outside and you know just hang out. It yeah, I love I love the public space there. So mm-hmm. yeah, I haven't been, I've only been to Leopard. Um, I haven't been to the coffee shop or or Zula. So I'll have to check mm-hmm. those other two out. But yeah, very. I, I agree with you. Very, very cool um, development. And now they're benefiting from the LRT coming west. Um, mm-hmm. One thing that I wanted to talk about is, uh, you know, architectural styles and guidelines. We touched on it with Alessandra that this is, you know, a, a big suburban thing. But I'm curious about uh, infill situations. Have you worked on any projects that have um, like defined architectural styles that you have to adhere to? In infill, um, not yet in infill, I got to say. Yeah, we have, I mean, we have a couple projects that are in infill locations, but there wasn't any strict architectural styles we had to ad- adhere to. Mm. So, yeah, the, it's such a, it's so interesting. I feel like the um, the newer developments, like in the suburban parts of Edmonton, such as Greasebaugh, you know, they those neighborhoods have a lot of architectural guidelines that they really adhere to. Yeah. I've only come across it once and it was in, we did a project in, uh, it was either Rossdale or Cloverdale, one of the two, I want to say Rossdale. And they have like restrictive covenants on all the titles that refer to an architectural guideline set from like the eighties. So a lot of it is outdated with like the zoning bylaw, but it still has to go for review. So all of your like uh, single family house all the way up to whatever you're building has to go to this one company that reviews them. Uh, against this like restrictive covenant architectural guidelines so it's kind of, it's kind of wild like yeah so i mean it, and it, it it's kind of weird because it's from the 80s right like it prohibits a bunch of things that are kind of common now like secondary suites and um even like the the language they use is kind of different but that was the only time i'm curious if you think that it would make sense for like some of these larger developments let's say like northlands or station lands or any of the kind of larger scale ones would it make sense to have an architectural style kind of attached to them or just let it be unique and let some people have cedar siding (laughs) (laughs) ryan ryan will never let go of the cedar siding (laughs) big fan Big fan. If your parents ever take that house down, I want all the cedar. I'm putting it on their air right now. I'll, I'll come take it myself. Oh, yeah. It's, 
I think I think my parents also don't know the value of it too because right. I think we were having a conversation just a couple of weeks ago, and dad's dad was like, "I kind of just want to get rid of them." Like, no, don't no, do no, it. Do not, do not <laughs> keep it forever. I don't care how many woodpeckers are trying to get in there. Like, it, save it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But but back to your question. I mean, um, I might go. This might be a little bit of a loop answer, but. I definitely, so I have worked on architectural styles or guidelines for commercial projects and mixed use projects. It's important in streets like 104th Street, you know, or it's important in those, you know, those heritage districts. It's important in what you, like, even where you were talking about Rossdale. Like, I think depending where um, it's located, but sometimes imposing architectural style guidelines on a singular house is, is a little, I think that is a little bit too controlling. Interesting. I think it actually might do the the house a disservice if it's controlled to that degree. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I think I'm also a person that really believes in that the site affects how the form takes shape. Mm. I, I get where the style or the guidelines come from. It's to, you know, create a good street front, create a good ambiance and, I think those are things that could, um, I think those things are important, but yeah. a lot of uh, what's written may be geared towards too much about ornamentation and not so much, you know, about, right? Not so much about um, window sizes or maybe not so much about how, you know, your street frontage, right? Which I think the the bylaw renewal is actually going through that that change right now and they actually are putting those items more in the forefront in the development. So, mm. yeah, I think because I, yeah, when it comes to ornamentation or any sort of decor, that stuff is so subjective. And I'm not opposed to, I, I think I mean, my husband, we were walking around. Uh, it was in Glenora. I'll have to, I can't remember the exact neighborhood, but there were a couple of styles that we saw. They were duplexes and they had, there was a farm, like, I guess you say farmhouse style, you know, with the A-frame. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, yeah, really like a 612 pitch roof. And, um, but then just two houses down, there was this house that was very Art Deco, which was kind of like it fit in still because of the scale, okay. the mass. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, your, it wasn't purely Art Deco that, it, you know, covered up. It, it didn't create a good street ambiance, but it was a very different style, you know, and I think it worked in that neighborhood. Interesting. Yeah, I knew yeah. I came to the right person for that answer. That was really well said. <laughs> I, I I agree with you. I think I, I would just let people kind of go go nuts. The flip side of that, obviously, is I don't know if you've ever been to Lendrum in Southside, Southside neighborhood. Shout out Lendrum. Um, but there's a house that looks like a castle. Somebody just put up like a bunch of turrets on their roof. It looks so ridiculous, but I'm, I'm here for it. So I, I think letting uh, people kind of go nuts a little bit is, uh, is kind of interesting, but that's the, that's the trade-off. You get a weird looking streetscape <laughs> and a castle. Yes. On street. <laughs> yeah, you do. You do. Yeah. Yeah. Some of it, um, I think the bigger, I think the bigger developments definitely do require some type of yeah. guideline, control. like yeah. Yeah, guideline control. I don't disagree with that. Um, okay. But I, I just think when the focus becomes too much about like how your cornices should be or whatever, or for, for single family homes, it's just, it's, that's going to be too much. That, that, that will be a weird, uh, that'd be a weird 
streetscape too because everything is I agree. I agree. Exactly. Your only real determining factor is like colors and materials at that point to like differentiate the houses. I agree. I agree. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So shout out to Andrew for listening to our podcast. I talked to him this morning. He's only listened to a couple episodes, none of them since you've been the co-host Olivia. So I told him to, you know, fast forward, like those older episodes are great. Absolutely. But fast forward a little bit so you can see what we're up to now. Um, But regardless, Andrew, thank you very much for listening. We really appreciate it. And uh, other than that, until next time, don't stop exploring our city and the communities that surround you. Thanks, Olivia. Thanks, Ryan.